Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. The chair will put Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker. The bill is passed. We've created a commitment to America. Those in favor say aye. Hello and a warm welcome back to Control, a podcast where we explore the challenges and priorities facing the 2023 Congress. I'm one of your hosts, Annalise Keller. And I'm Brendan Buck, your other host. Uh, it feels good to be back. Welcome back, everyone. Um, as all of our listeners know, we have been on hiatus for a few months. Um, honestly, we went on hiatus because we didn't think a whole lot was going to be happening in Congress for the last three months. And I think we were we were proven right, um, but obviously we had spent a lot of time and attention thinking about what was going to happen on the debt limit, and now that big story has returned. So we are excited to dive all into that, uh, th where things stand, where things are likely to go, all kinds of fun stuff. Um, of course, there are other fun new developments that we will be getting into. Uh, when we last signed off, we were, I think, in the middle of George Santos mania. That also died down for a minute and is back as well, so we're excited to uh, dive back into that. Uh, as we speak, uh, the House is trying to figure out what to do about immigration. All kinds of fun stuff that uh, are right up our wheelhouse uh, on this podcast. We also have a very special guest, Phil Mattingly, Chief White House Correspondent at CNN. Want to get a little bit of the perspective from the White House. This obviously being a Congress-focused podcast, but they seem like a relatively important player uh, in this whole thing. So we'll, we'll have him on to talk about uh, how the White House sees this debt limit standoff. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brendan. I guess we'll talk first about some of the immigration developments. And just a programming note, we're recording this on Wednesday, May 10th. Um, but as of today, it seems pretty unlikely, or I, I guess I'll say unclear, as to whether or not Republicans are going to move this immigration bill um, they've pushed the rule vote. That's kind of where things stand right now. Um, one thing that over the last few months, you know, we've kind of been talking about and reflecting on, um, you know, we were both kind of skeptical uh, at times of the new Republican leadership's ability to get some of these things across the floor. Uh, I think we've both been, uh, I don't want to speak for Brendan, but, you know, pleasantly surprised and impressed with his ability to get, uh, you know, obviously the debt limit and other pieces of legislation across the finish line. Um, this immigration will obviously be a big test. I know there's some issues with E-Verify in particular, um, you know, and as Title 42 is is coming to a close, there's some, you know, serious concerns at the border here. Yeah, look, the both both Speaker McCarthy uh, and I guess he was Speaker when we last signed off, so it's new to say Speaker McCarthy on here. Uh, both he and just Republicans in general made a lot of promises about things they were going to do, and some of them were... Uh, probably a little unrealistic, but some of the things, you know, they probably were just talking about getting through the House. Immigration, super complicated, super hard. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I get stuck on, like, why does this matter at all? I, you know, I think nobody has any illusions that an immigration bill like this, even if they're able to get it done, um, is going to go through the Senate or become law or anything like that. Um I think it might be the most important thing here, especially in the context of the debt limit, is just another test of whether McCarthy is able to hold people together. And like you said, been pretty impressed so far. I mean, we talked about previously that uh, people may be underestimating uh, maybe, or maybe even just misunderstanding what the job of speaker is. Um, as I've 
said many times the job of the speaker is not it's not a policy job it's a problem solving job and it's a member management job and that's things that kevin was actually always pretty good at um and so once again you know with a with a narrow majority they're trying to figure out uh how to get everybody in a comfortable place to do this again it's not going anywhere but it is important for kevin mccarthy and i think for the reason that uh since we last signed off he's really just been spending time putting points on the board on republican bills that are going nowhere uh, the point of to do that is, you know, follow through on your promises and all that stuff. But politically, it's to generate political capital, bank as much political capital as he can within the conference, uh, allow members to go home and talk about all the great things that they were able to do, demonstrate to members that he gets it, he gets what they need, that he's on their team, that they should trust him and back him. And he's actually in a relatively strong position at that point, at this point. Um, and I think it's because he's been able to move forward some of these difficult things keep everybody in line this one obviously being the hardest and biggest test um outside of the debt limit yeah and i think your point about giving members something to talk about when they return to their districts i mean you have to remember as well that you know we're not in a position where the airwaves are being flooded with you know attack ads primary opponents are coming up you know all of this is uh just kind of legislation and points that need to be put on the board ahead of all of that which we know is coming uh, next year soon. So we'll see what happens uh, in the House. Uh, as we speak, they are pushing back a rule vote, which is never a good idea, but that is far from, from dead. Uh, we'll see uh, where this lands, but most likely um, still in a level of, of uncertainty. Uh, and again, I, I, to the degree that this matters, it's really just Kevin McCarthy standing in the conference. You know, Is he able to put a few more points on the board? If they're not able to do it, I, I don't think it's a you know, I don't think it's devastating for him because they'll they'll keep working at it. They'll probably get it done uh, eventually. And again, you know, I, I think he's relatively good at that. Can we talk about George Santos now? I was just going to bring him up. Please, you start. So I know McCarthy is getting a lot of questions about, you know, whether he should immediately resign. I think those are kind of interesting questions and it sounds like McCarthy is going to follow precedent and just sort of you know, continue to let uh, the indictment work itself through the process. Uh, obviously, he notes that he's not on any committees, uh, and I, I think you know we'll we'll see where where the legal system takes uh, George Santos. But it's certainly been quiet over the last couple of months, apart from his uh, intermittent videos. Yeah, I mean, we and not to keep talking about what we used to talk about, but um, obviously the stuff about his resume was interesting bordering on on comical but it was always the financial stuff that was like the real problem for him and that is that is finally caught up to him so not to not to jump past what actually happened here um indicted on on 13 charges uh, uh wire fraud uh fraudulent political contribution solicitation scheme unemployment insurance fraud uh, lying to the house false statements to the house of reference all kinds of good stuff um but really mostly related around the finances uh of, of his of his campaign and that was ultimately always what was going to happen so um predictably everybody rushing to kick him out right like that that makes that makes a lot of sense i have um been in the lonely position a little bit of defending mccarthy for saying he's going to let the legal process play out um only because that's kind of the precedent. That's kind of how these things have been been handled in the past. Well, it's a precedent of our legal system as well. Sure. 
yeah, obviously innocent until proven guilty, no doubt. Um, but I, you know, I, I look. I think Kevin McCarthy would love to have George Santos gone. I don't think that his vote is actually that important at this point. Um, you know, we'll talk a lot about the debt limit. I think that is, you know, you don't need 218 Republicans for whatever the final debt limit deal is. They got their bill out of the House. Sure, they could use him on immigration, but sounds like he's uh, got other things go- got other things <laughs> going on this week. So probably wouldn't be there anyway. Um, but you know, I, 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 I'm sure he would love to have me gone. I'm sure a lot of the members would love to have him gone. This is not someone who like has a lot of friends, has built up a lot of goodwill over the years. Uh, but I'm sure Kevin McCarthy is thinking about the precedent that if somebody is indicted, it doesn't automatically mean you're kicked out. And that has not been how we've done things in, in, in the past, both Republicans and Democrats. It is typically when a member is indicted, which is unfortunately not all that uncommon, um, you know, happens once or twice a Congress actually, uh, when they are indicted, uh, they come off their committees and you kind of just wait and see what happens. And that's not to say that they always stick around. Lots and sometimes of, they get reelected, like our <laughs> friend Michael Grimm. Uh, yeah. And sometimes they come to the realization that their time here is short and they just leave. Um, the, the stat I always like to make sure people appreciate is that we've actually only voted to expel five people in the whole history of the U.S. House of Representatives, and three of those were for being Confederates, uh, only two since the Civil War. So it's not like a common thing where you just vote people out. Um, you typically wait until to see if they've been convicted. At that point, they generally resign. Um, and if not, then I think it is appropriate for everyone to say, you must resign. I, I think Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like- yeah, I mean, and usually you don't need to vote. They I mean, they, they, they get it. They see the writing on the wall. It takes two thirds of the house to, to actually expel somebody, but it never really comes to that. Um, so then the question is like, what does a person like George Santos do? Uh, you know, he probably needs the paycheck <laughs> to stay a member of Congress. He doesn't have a whole lot of other places to go. Maybe he sees he has some type of like leverage pleading down, whatever they do. If, if he agrees to resign, which, you know, I don't, think is realistic but you know who knows what he's thinking you just uh, usually people come to the right conclusion i don't know that we can trust that george santos is going to come to the right conclusion um the other thing to obviously keep an eye on is the uh, ethics committee which can move at any time to impose penalties on him including pretty significant financial penalties and uh this clearly is not a person who has a whole lot of dough uh and if they you know say he owes two hundred fifty thousand dollars the only way to avoid that is to resign before the House uh, Ethics Committee brings that kind of stuff. So really, it's on him to decide what, what's, a, what's a good move for him. But it wouldn't surprise me if there is a, a pretty big groundswell to, to boot him, and yet leadership decides that they're going to let the process play out. Yeah. Well, I want to move us to uh, the main event, the debt limit. I know, uh, as we kind of mentioned at the top, that we both were a little bit skeptical to like put it mildly that the house was going to be able to pass a debt limit bill to begin with. And I think, you know, so there's sort of kudos to leadership team there for doing that. I mean, it's, it's not, it wasn't an easy feat. I mean, they, you know, you have to get 98% of the conference to agree to it, to anything uh, in particular when it's something that, you know, you kind of know isn't going to become law. So you're asking your members to sort of make, you know, step out and kind of 
make these uh, make these tougher votes in some cases. So I think it's just kind of credit where credit is due. Um, I I certainly in my perspective is that you know Biden was also kind of in our camp and the administration that they really didn't think that this was going to be something that McCarthy and leadership team was going to be able to pull off. Um, and so you know I kind of understand. Look, House Republicans are kind of taking this victory lap, but you know. Th- that's this was kind of unfortunately you know just the beginning of of sort of the mountain that they were going to have to summit here like this was a bit of the easy part even though it wasn't easy um and so you know i'm kind of hopeful that you know there's kind of some more strategy here beyond just getting this bill passed and sort of saying okay we've we've done it um you know i i just think the biden administration was caught a little flat-footed in terms of their posturing um and now they're kind of trying to reset the table yeah i mean look uh i i will fully acknowledge i got this wrong um did not think they were going to be able to pass anything with just republicans that's really hard to do uh credit to him uh i think on net probably good for the house that they were able to pull that off um, but I don't know that it really changes a whole lot, to be honest. Um, my view is Biden was going to have to come and negotiate at some point anyway. Look, maybe they did it sooner than they would have otherwise. I, I don't know. Um, but I don't really think it gives the House a ton of leverage or any leverage, really. Um, it's a fine talking point that, you know, we did something you need to engage. But again, if if you believe that they were just, the White House was never going to engage until they did this. Yeah, great. I just, I don't know if that's, if that's true. Would you, would you consider the fact that the Senate Republicans sort of came together? I think you had like 43 Senate Republicans over the weekend sort of saying, hey, we're not going to uh, vote for a clean debt limit raise. I kind of don't know if I see that happening in that cadence and in that number without McCarthy being able to, um, you know, show his ability to bring his conference to the table. Yeah. I mean, look, again, I don't know that it dramatically changes anything, but it is definitely good for the House that they are showing very strong unity, no cracks. And we'll talk, I'm sure, with with Phil about, you know, what the White House thought was going to happen and their strategy. And could they pick off some moderates and like there, there are no fault lines here. Every Republican is is good. So that's why I think, you know, on net, probably good for McCarthy that they were able to pull that off. It's certainly impressive. You know, the question, though, of course, is like, to what end? Um, I do think there is a bit of a, you know, if we're looking a little further down the road, uh, a little risk associated with passing it. Um, again, I think it was good they passed it. But two things. One, McCarthy f- spent, you know, not a ton, but it's some political capital getting this done. You know, he, he, he basically said, you guys got to trust me, uh, you know, wrangled some few folks. It was, it was impressive how swiftly they were able to do it, but he spent some capital and, and related, but maybe even more importantly, um, he has set some expectations here that he's now going to go get a great deal from Joe Biden. And um, maybe I shouldn't predict anything because I got the House vote wrong, but like, I don't expect whatever the final deal is, is going to look anything like what the House passed and probably is going to be relatively small in scale. Um, And given that all of these members just said, all right, Kevin, good job. Go get it. Go get a deal for us. Uh, I I, I wonder um, what they will then say when he comes back with something that is much, much smaller. 
I never expected, we should never expect all Republicans are going to vote for the final deal. That's bipartisan by nature. Um, but I just... But how many does he lose? <clears throat> yeah, and, and how much does he get, like, we stuck with you and then you didn't deliver, and does that become a problem? I mean, there's going to be a problem in some way whenever he brings back a deal. It's just, is it a fatal problem for him? And that's what we I think we need to figure out. Yeah. I know we'll talk a bit more about this with Phil, but, um, you know, it it still kind of seems like one of the big sticking points out of the meeting this week uh, with the administration is that they're kind of talking past each other in terms of arguing uh, sort of for two different things or kind of negotiating, you know, very separate and apart, I guess, you know, in the immediate, I'm just kind of wondering how they reconcile McCarthy's position of no, we're, you know, negotiating a debt limit raise with some budgetary measures versus we're negotiating top line numbers. Yeah. And that question is getting a lot of play. Like, how do they walk back what they've said? I don't know. People walk back stuff what they say all the time. I mean, in 2011, when we did a deal that was $2 trillion, they were still saying do a clean debt limit increase like a month and a half out. So um, they can, I'm not so worried that they won't be able to explain walking it back. And they can like... You know, they they're so the whole White House thing is like we'll have a conversation with you about fiscal issues, but it's got to be on a separate track than the debt limit. And like, that's fine if you want to rhetorically say they're separate, but like we all realize why we're here. It's because of the debt limit. They're all the same. And I'm sure that if they come to some agreement on a fiscal spending package, they can just you know, we don't care how you process it. All that matters is, you know, whatever. Like that stuff, I think is it can can be resolved. The the real issue is, are they willing to engage on on the substance? And so, I think you can look at the meeting at the White House two ways. One, oh crap! Like they didn't make any progress. Like no one moved off of their position. Uh, that's a fair read. And there are a lot of people who are like really pessimistic right now. Um, or you can look at it as like they're meeting again on Friday and the staffers meeting and like that's as much as you could really hope for in something like that. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of wondering, you know, again, it, it, it's it's one thing to sort of say, you know, this, this is your, you know, your your firm line that you're not moving off of to the press and in public. But, you know, if you have the staffers that are continuing to meet and having these negotiations and conversations like that's certainly different. So my hope is that that's happening, but it, you know, obviously see if Phil has any insight. Yeah. I mean, look, just to pull back the curtain a little bit and I, I get this question a lot, but like, you know, what are they going to, how's the negotiation go? Like they don't do the negotiating. Like that's not how this works. The negotiating happens among the policy staff who are empowered by their bosses to go in and, you know, exchange paper and talk about really complex things. Like that's not where, I mean, the, the, the principles will negotiate at a very high level. Like what is the shape of the deal where, you know, what kind of things are in bounds and what kind of things are out of bounds. Um, but the fact that, po- that policy staff are getting together to talk is, is meaningful. That doesn't mean like it's going to lead to a breakthrough. Don't get me wrong. Um, and look, time is short, but like, it's not that dire. I mean, when I, I compare it back to our experience in 2011, I was working for, for John Boehner back then negotiating with, with Barack Obama. Um, I mean, at this point, if you kind of like compare equivalent dates, um, you know, we were moving along in, in a direction, but like it fell apart like 
twice more by the time we actually got a deal at this point. The gang of six brought up Senate, a bunch of senators put out a deal that um, totally undermined everything we were doing and everything fell apart. And then we came back and got a deal with uh, Reed and, and, you know, kind of a congressional deal. And then Obama blew that up. And like, you know, there's still a little time for messing around. It's not a lot of time for messing around. Um, but I don't think it is completely dire. I'm, I'm a, I guess what I'm saying is I'm a little more optimistic that something is possible and we shouldn't lose all hope just because they didn't walk out of the meeting saying like, you know, we think we had a good meeting. It's moving in the right direction. Yeah. They need to posture We've a little it more. Up. <laughs> well, one more thing I want to talk about, Brendan, in terms of time um, is this concept of the discharge petition, which is something that we've talked about on the program previously, uh, you know, kind of came into a little bit more focus when uh, Democrats revealed you know, that they'd had the secret plan this whole time and that in January they dropped sort of a, you know, debt limit uh, discharge petition so that it could sit for, you know, the 30 legislative days. I mean, I, I think it's just like worth reiterating I think people are reporting this uh, now, but it's, I just think worth reiterating that it's really not a good or effective or well-suited tool to address this issue. Um, and, you know, for that reason, it also, you know, requires buy-in from whoever's controlling floor time to be managing the legislative days that are, you know, required to bring this thing up. So I know yeah. you may want to add on to that uh, obviously we threw a lot of cold water on the idea of a, a debt limit or excuse me a discharge petition r- resolving this discharge petition being where 218 members sign a piece of paper basically and can force any bill to get a vote and that's the very short version of it which would require a small handful of republicans working with every democrat um it's a complicated process there's lots of dates where things need to sit out um but there was a lot of interest in Democrats revealing or introducing, I guess, a, 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 what will effectively be a discharge petition, and they can't sign it yet. It's got a little more time. But they kind of, they themselves got caught flat-footed. They basically introduced it too late. They introduced a bill long ago, but the, the rule, not to get too complicated, but the rule that would actually bring it up, um, according to a memo from the United States Chamber of Commerce, which happens to employ the former parliamentarian of the House, a guy named Tom Wickham, who is very, very smart on this stuff, obviously. Uh, they put out a memo that said, you know, the, this wouldn't be ripe, if you will, to bring up a, a discharge petition until like the second week of June. And if the deadline is June 1st, oops. Um, and that's even if like you can get Republicans to do that. And, you know, Which I, I think is a big question. Yeah, I, we've seen no evidence that Republicans are, are, are ready to jump ship and start working with them, any Republican. I mean, we haven't even seen something that struck me in all of the debt limit conversations is we really didn't see that many rogue Republicans out there sort of going through the press negotiating, you know, any pieces that they were upset about with the way that McCarthy was handling things. Like typically, you know, we will see at least three members who will realize that they can sort of be in the spotlight about, you know, a certain issue. Yeah. I think the point is the only way to resolve this is a bipartisan negotiation uh, with McCarthy and the president and maybe big asterisk being, do they do some sort of extra legal, extra constitutional 14th amendment play where they just say, we don't need a debt limit. That's a whole other thing. And maybe we can ask Phil what the white house thinks about that, but this is going to have to be resolved, um, through, you know, the leadership discharge petition is, is not, not a, 
I mean, it's a real thing, but you know, it just does not seem like a, there's no, there's no easy out here. Um, I think the White House probably recognizes that given that they are engaging. And maybe we can talk with, with Phil about this, but like, I, I think there are, the incentives exist for everybody to come together on some small scale bill. <clears throat> do something around the margins. Do some type of uh, spending caps for a couple years. They don't need to be deep. They don't need to go back to 2022. They just need to be some type of fiscal restraint. Um, that's kind of all the McCarthy's been asking for. And then you can throw on stuff that everybody agrees. Everybody throws out permitting reform. I'm sure there's a few other, like what I call ornamental things where you can kind of like nice shiny objects that people can latch onto as, as wins. Um, I think that that is obviously that's what McCarthy has been pushing for. Give him something to come back with. Uh, you know, he got a deal. We'll come back to what that would look like. But, um, I think it's actually in, in Biden's interest. Um, one, this is a person running for re-election. Let's forget like whether you know you agree or disagree. We need to cut spending. One, going into running for re-election, it would not be a bad thing to be able to say I did a bipartisan fiscal restraint measure with Republicans to limit spending, target inflation. I can I can get things like that's a pretty good general election. You know, the, the, at least he seems to be presenting himself as wanting to be, you know, the moderate independent Joe, like that's not a bad thing, but also the downside risk. Look, I think we all appreciate significant economic risk if they can't get something done and we go over, even if they come up with some kooky scheme to keep borrowing, like that ends up in courts and it gets messy and there's economic consequences no matter what. Um, yeah, they can blame Republicans and they will, and maybe Republicans will get more blame. But ultimately, if this really does significant damage to the economy politically, I think he has the most to lose. People take out frustrations on the economy on the incumbent president, and he's obviously not in very high standing as it is. Um, and so I think he has incentive to avoid that that kind of disaster. Yeah, no, I, I tend to agree. I think um, instead, it's it seems like he's kind of taking a very opposite approach and uh instead he's you know going to new york and sort of railing against Which all of these is interesting of... yeah so far well why don't we uh bring in our guests to ask about that white house strategy of going after some moderates uh we will be right back with our friend phil mattingly We're going to go ahead and bring on our guest for today, Phil Mattingly. Uh, we're really grateful that he took the time to join our program. As many of you know, he's CNN's chief White House correspondent covering the Biden administration. He's also covered Congress, economics and finance policy, the Justice Department and Washington's lobbying industry. Phil, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Annalise hit it there. Uh, Phil, obviously, has a distinguished career. But for our purposes, at least for me, the most important one is not like father or husband, but congressional correspondent um, (laughs) showing our bias. But um, so Phil knows his way around the Capitol, but obviously we want to uh, have him come on and talk a little bit about what the the White House is is thinking. Um, I'll I'll start off pretty broad. And of course, in the context of the debt limit, Phil, um, to the extent that you can articulate it, what is the White House's thinking or strategy at this point following the meeting that went by all accounts, okay, but not great? It's a great question because I think there's a misconception about the process that they're going through here. And part of that is due to the president's past life um, as a deal maker, as a negotiator, as somebody who helped clinch the 2011 deal. Um, 
But I also think that there's always just an assumption that whatever the first position is, they're immediately going to move off of once things start getting real, once the posturing starts, what stops, once the stare down stop. Um, and I think when you talk to White House officials, and this is also something that I think is carried over to Democrats on the Hill, um, they're not in a rush to move off the position of no negotiations. They will not accept any conditions on any debt ceiling increase. They want it clean and then want kind of part two to be the fiscal negotiations that we all know are coming. Um, and I think that the rigidity to some degree of that position uh, has been underestimated. And I think from the White House side of things, uh, the strategic value of that position winning in the end was probably overestimated on their part. And so I think that they're kind of running a playbook right now of which was very carefully designed um, that didn't necessarily account for the possibility that the Speaker of the House would get something over the finish line and would have some leverage. And I think far more importantly, didn't account for the fact that Senate Republicans, most notably Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, would stay right beside him or right behind him every step of the way. And so I think that's why these next three or four days, you know, you guys know well, you, there's a rhythm to how this all works. You know, we have an idea of kind of how the dance is going to play out. Um, and I'm not totally sure we do at this point, and I'm not totally sure the White House is dead set at this point in terms of how this is actually going to go beyond the fact that at least at this point, they're not moving off the position that they've held for the last 100 days. Yeah, I think that's something that we talked about earlier on the program and that Brendan and I were uh, you know, both kind of quick to admit that the, the two of us were just as skeptical as the Biden administration, I guess, that congressional Republicans were going to be able to pass this legislation, which, in my estimation, I think led to, you know, the 43 Senate Republicans feeling comfortable and coming out, you know, over this past weekend and saying, hey, we're actually, you know, not going to be passing a clean debt limit, which did give McCarthy, you know, to an extent, a, a bit more of, of a leveraging uh, negotiation power this week. Um, but I'm, I'm curious if your, you know, sources in talking to staffers and, you know, other people that are a little bit more behind the scenes at kind of getting, you know, actually making some of the sausage, like, are you hearing that, you know, publicly the administration saying, you know, very firmly, you know, we're not going to negotiate, you know, clean debt limit is kind of the only thing. Like, are you hearing at least beginnings of conversations that there are some concessions or, or conversations around what they might be bringing to the table? I mean, I think the interesting thing is, and Brendan and I have talked about this a lot, like we know the construct of the deal on the fiscal side or kind of the broad outlines of what something could be. You know, you put some combination of caps and permitting reform on, uh, on an approach process plus um, that you think you can get across the finish line, you can at least get 218 and 60 with some combination of Democrats and Republicans. Um, the problem, and this is why this is so much different, you know, Brennan made a good point to me a couple of years ago. I wrote some story about how nobody has the answer. Everything's terrible. Which, and I don't even remember what negotiation it was. And I remember being really pissed off because Brendan texted me and was like, you have this wrong. And I was glad he didn't tweet it uh, and instead just chose to text it uh, to me privately. But his point was, you know, these negotiations end when one side is bludgeoned politically and can't stand it anymore and has to break. Um, and right now, and you make such a good point about the speaker and the leverage, I think I underestimated what it meant in the broader context of things for them to get this over the finish line. I knew it mattered. I didn't know how much it mattered. Um, 
the reality when you talk to the White House and you talk to House Republicans and you talk to Senate Republican leadership aides is until you make the decision to move off of two completely incompatible positions, the deal and the space for the deal that we all know is kind of hanging out there that very talented staffers would figure out a way to navigate procedurally um, is unattainable. And I think that's the hard part here. You know, you've got the president's top climate advisor laying out their top principles on permitting reform today. We kind of know, particularly with somebody with the expertise of OMB Director Charlotte Young, that you know they can thread a needle on a probes or on some top line number um, that can get the requisite number of votes. But if you can't agree what goes first, you have a problem. Uh, and I think that's where I'm stuck right now, and both talking to officials and talking to Hill, is how do you get to from A to B when nobody agrees what A actually is? So I think that's that's the hard part. And that's what makes this feel so different than what we've been dealing with in the past. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate uh, the, the the story. I imagine that was in the context of a government shutdown. Yes. Where one side just gets hammered and government shutdown is bad, but not nearly as bad as going over the X state. Right. So I guess my my question is, like, does the White House still think that they can just win the political war and that's how to, I mean, so like the president's going to New York, he thinks that he can beat up on Mike Lawler and, you know, make a point. And I, I mean, I, I think that is just kind of clueless as to how the house operates. I mean, all that's going to do is make Mike Lawler stick closer to Kevin McCarthy. Um, maybe that's just like a one-off political move, but are they still bought into this idea that there are, you know, moderate, Republicans who are going to push Kevin McCarthy to, you know, back off and, and separate these two things? Or do they kind of get that at this point? And as you said, the bigger challenge is figuring out how do you kind of change the dynamic, change the shape of this conversation to ultimately get to an outcome, because not getting to an outcome is really, really bad for them. Two things I think are important to note. You make a wonderfully important point that this is not a government shutdown. The stakes are so much higher. This is so much different. I'm not totally sure that this strategy was launched through that lens, right? And in the sense of the, the playbook is designed to set up the construct of politically bludgeoning them. <laughs> you know, even like they weren't necessarily mad initially when House Republicans passed that bill because they were writing 500 attack ads in their head based on every single component of that legislation. You know, it's, a, it's the DTRIP's dream for their frontline guys, for their guys from Biden districts, their majority makers to some degree, the types of New York Republicans like Mike Lawler. Um, the problem is, is that doesn't get them any closer if those guys aren't moving. And I still think that there is a view that at some point, the moderates, the Brian Fitzpatrick's who have been there for a while, and then kind of those frontline Biden district guys will at some point get skittish. And there's just been no, there's been no evidence whatsoever that that's going to happen. And to give the White House some credit on this one, everything else House Republicans have tried to do has shown those fractures. What they're dealing with with immigration right now is is exactly the type of thing that the White House expected to happen from the speaker vote through the you know handful of pieces of legislation that were on their agenda that they weren't able to bring to the floor in the opening week. Now immigration, you know, this is all what they assumed was going to be the reality on debt stealing as well. And it just hasn't been at all. And I have not gotten the sense 
you know, caveat, I'm up in New York, so I'm not as physically there uh, as I am on a normal day to day basis. But I've not gotten the sense that they've moved off their theory of the case, that those folks will start to shift as they get closer. And the other problem that's been missing here, Jeff Stein at The Washington Post got at a piece of this the other day. You know, they just assumed the business community, they just assumed kind of the key outside voices would align with them on this. And they absolutely have not at all. I think that was a flawed assumption from the get go. Um, I, I don't see the incentive of the business roundtable coming out and nuking Speaker McCarthy if he's gotten something across the finish line. Um, but they assumed that was going to be the case. And that's flawed because, one, Republicans aren't nearly as responsive as they used to be to those types of phone calls from people. Um, and two, it just I don't think you're going to see people take sides on this one. They just want a resolution. They don't want to put a statement out that's going to kill them three months later when some other bill is moving down the line. Yeah, it kind of feels like the administration, you know, similarly to how Brendan and I were thinking about this, sort of set up this playbook and the strategy, assuming that, you know, there were going to be factions, there were going to be members of the Republican Party talking to the press about the concerns that they were having with McCarthy's plan, and that they were going to be able to make these uh, inroads with certain, you know, factions of the Republican Party, and sort of instead of re-steering the ship and, like, changing course, they've sort of plowed ahead with, like, you know, their strategy of going to different places and trying to pick this thing apart. Um, something that Brendan and I talked about, I'd love to get your perspective on is uh, the discharge petition, uh, which is, you know, of course, this secret plan that uh, secret weapon, if you will, that was uh, quietly dropped in January to allow for the 30 days to then collect the, as you know, 218 votes for this sort of alternative, uh, which would be a clean debt limit raise which would, of course, require five Republicans to sign on. Um, I mean, do you think the administration is sort of understanding that this is maybe a, a, a tool that's not well equipped to address the issue? Or do you think there is some thought that maybe they can pick off some of these moderates? There's two things that have debated my existence throughout the course of this entire process, and that is the 14th Amendment and the discharge petition, neither of which are at this point legitimate options nor have they ever really been legitimate options uh at least over the course of the last several weeks now uh, without fail now that i've said that one of those will end up being the way out of this and i'm going to be really mad uh that that's the case i the administration has a lot of people that have hill experience inside of it they understand logistically and procedurally that they are at a place right now less than a month out from a potential x date uh that they don't have the time to do it even if Republicans start to crack. Um, I, they Early on in this process, when I talked to officials, they were eyeing it, but they were eyeing it through the context of, you know, the problem solvers guys would end up heading in that direction, which obviously hasn't happened at all. And at some point, the Biden district freshman would start to crack. None of that has happened, and now you're out of time. And I think similarly with the 14th Amendment, you know, I, I saw the news alerts last night after what the president said, saying that he had been looking into it and everything like that. And like, Yes, we've reported that he's been looking into it. If you don't pay attention to the second part of his quote, you don't get this process right now at all. The second part of his quote was basically like, we can't do it right now. It would end up in litigation. There would be no extension and we would still default. And maybe I'll look at this a couple months from now so we're not dealing with this again, but it's not a live option for us at the moment. I think those, those two are very similar in terms of that view. Yeah, we'd like to be able to do this. This maybe was an option we could have taken, but right now there's just no time to use it. Did he mean to say that? Did he mean to raise that? 
You know, Brendan, I'm a careful reporter <laughs> and I am not going to speculate about what somebody meant or didn't mean to say. I think that in the entire Q&A, even you know, the Title 42 answer was very similar, talking about how there's going to be some chaos for some time. Uh, you know, he when you talk to the president, and this is the detriment of him not doing press conferences, which he's fully capable of doing, and he's fully capable of going back and forth with us whenever he decides to do it, um, is he's candid. And I think he was being honest. I, I think he tends to give a window into the process that's actually happening behind the scenes that they work so hard to close off from us. Um, I guess to their credit from a comms perspective to some degree, but for him, when he's talking about this stuff, and this has happened several times over the course of the last couple of years, he tends to give you a fairly honest window of where things are. I'm not sure they're thrilled about him talking at length about the 14th Amendment, um, but I think that's was where things are right now. So, I mean, I don't want to get you to predict like how this ends, because I don't think any of us know, but I, yeah. I, I think one thing that we expect might start happening and maybe some people are surprised hasn't already started happening is some financial market pressure. And you talked about how, you know, business groups aren't really taking sides in the way they thought they would, but, um, you're pretty plugged in, uh, in the finance world as well. What, why do you think that people are not more concerned? Will they become concerned soon? How do you, how do you see this? It's such a fascinating question because my folks on wall street that I still talk to on a fairly regular basis, um, the level of numbness to this process at this point in time based and, and uh, you know, to be fair, after 12 years of constantly crying wolf, I understand that they don't necessarily believe the wolf is actually there. And they just assume that they will find a way out of this, that they will figure it out at some point. They always do. And they're tired of, you know, taking positions or shorting something or, you know, whatever the terminology you want to use, or whatever the financial instrument, and then finding out that it doesn't actually end up being the case. Um, we have to be at a point soon where people start freaking out a little bit. Um, and I think it's the, the difficulty here is without the freak out, I don't think you see the reaction you need to see in terms of urgency on Capitol Hill. And without the, the sense of urgency and the freak out on Capitol Hill, you don't see the market reaction that you need uh, to actually see. And so they end up working against one another right now. You're seeing in some parts of markets where things are starting to get priced in and, and things are starting to move a little bit, but there hasn't been a dramatic action. And I think that's problematic. Yeah, I think that's right. I think it'll be interesting uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, kind of how some of this pressure ratchets up. Um, but I want to get your take on the administration's posturing on a potential short term uh, debt limit raise. I don't really think that there's like much interest from McCarthy and from Republicans in the House in sort of even considering a short term raise. Um, but, you know, I've, I've seen so many different things from the administration on, you know, they're they're not going to consider it. You know, they're open to it. So, you know, just what are your sources saying about kind of a short term raise and what do you think? Yeah, it was like a fascinating it was like a fascinating um 12 hours after you know the OMB director, Shalanda Young, longtime, very well-respected Hill staffer, came out to the briefing room last week. And she was asked about this. And she said, look, if we're having a discussion about the length of the extension, like that's where I want to be. I want to be having that discussion because that means the other elements that are keeping them from actual tangible movement on this are no longer in play. Um, and that was taken by people as her endorsing a short-term uh, extension or her saying that that was the White House plan. That wasn't what she was saying. And I think I understood what she was saying. You guys probably understood what she was saying when you listened to it uh, in the full context. Um, and so that was taken out of context a little bit. 
That being said, I do think it's fair to say that her point there was, we just want this off the table right now. If it happens for a month, then that's the best we can get. We're going to take it off the table so we don't default. And so I think that in the administration's best case scenario, they're taking this off the table for as long as humanly possible to 2080, if they possibly could. I think they would ideally like to get it past the election if they possibly could. That said, their goal is not to default. And if they find a pathway, whether it's a month or three months, you tie it to the appropriations process for the fiscal year, um, and that's the way to get their current position clean, no concessions, they would take it. I don't think they want to say it. They don't want to be explicit about it. I've asked them about this for months. And what I've always been struck by is they don't firmly say no to anything. And they're careful in how they respond to questions like that. And that's intentional. They just want to get something that moves the date further along as long as possible. But as long as they're not defaulting, they take it. Yeah. And if in the interim, you know, they're getting closer to a deal. I mean, you know, some of those things may shift uh, totally. in terms of how uh, strident uh, McCarthy's being right now as well on the House side. Definitely. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate your time. And obviously, we will continue uh, to closely follow everyone's favorite topic for 2023, the debt limit. Thanks a ton for having me. You guys are awesome. Thanks so much. Control is a production of Seven Letter, a leading strategic communications firm in Washington, D.C. and Boston, with deep experience in bipartisan public affairs, public relations, crisis management, digital strategy, and corporate engagement. Special thanks to our producer, Benji Englander. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please join us next week for another episode, and don't forget to rate and review us. Thank you for listening.